Our text from God's Word this morning is Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. Luke 6, 46 through 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I pray that you would have mercy on us this morning, that as we look at the words that Scott just read, the very words of Christ, God, that you would give us a seriousness of heart to hear Lord, I pray that Your grace would grant spiritual ears, Lord, that we would hear Christ, that we would consider our souls. Father, I pray that it would be revealed to us either that our life is built on the rock and that we continue to cling to Christ, or Lord, I pray that in Your grace You might show someone that their life is not being built on the rock, that they might turn to You and find grace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It is a disease that has never ceased to prevail over Christianity. It's a disease that has never ceased to prevail over Christianity. It's a soul-ruining plague which is continually sweeping away crowds of Gospel hearers down the broad way of destruction. These are the words of an old English preacher named J.C. Ryle. He was born in 1816. He died in 1900. What is this disease? What is this plague that is leading and causing Myriads of gospel hearers to go down the wide road of destruction. He continues, Open sin and avowed unbelief no doubt slay their thousands. Let me read that again. Open sin and unavowed unbelief no doubt slay their thousands, but... 
profession without practice slays its tens of thousands. This sermon Jesus gives, He's giving to the people who are saying, Lord, Lord. They're the ones who say, we're disciples of Christ. We follow where He goes. We listen to what He says. And Jesus preaches this sermon to them. And He says, out of you who are calling Me Lord, there's two groups. There's two groups. Right at the beginning of the, this sermon, there's the blessed and the cursed. And He's preaching it, if you read, to His disciples. To those who are seeking to learn from Him. What a horrible surprise it would be to live your whole life in a house that looks strong, that looks pretty, that looks like everyone else's house, but to find out in the end it crumbles to the ground. What a horrible surprise. Have you ever experienced a horrible surprise? You thought something was going to be a certain way and it ended up another way? I'll tell you one of the worst surprises I ever got. Some of you know uh, um, Craig and Laura Howgard. They moved to Ohio. And one Sunday morning, uh, Laura asked me, she said, in about a month, we're going to be going and running a marathon up in New Hampshire, somewhere up in the Northeast. And uh, we were wondering if you could watch our beloved pet, bearded dragon named Murphy. Now, Laura loves her bearded dragon. She has a calendar, and every month on that calendar, the bearded dragon is dressed up in a different outfit. In fact, on Murphy's birthday, because we had taken care of Murphy before, she invited the girls to the birthday party where you had the cake with the bearded dragon picture on the cake and the girls got happy birthday Murphy t-shirts with Murphy's picture on it. She loved this bearded dragon she was taking care of for her son who was in the military, but he ended up leaving it with his mom because his mom loved it so much. And I said, sure, I would love to do that. We've done it before. We'll do it again. Well, I'm sitting in my office downstairs about a month later, and I get a phone call. And it's Craig, and he says, oh, hey, Sam, how's it going? And I said, good, how are you, Craig? And he says, good. Well, we're about a half hour out just getting back from the marathon. And we just want to swing by your house quick and give you the gift that we bought for you for taking care of Murphy. And that was a horrible surprise to me because I had forgot that I said I would go spray the bearded dragon down, feed the bearded dragon, and take care of it. And I said, okay. And I hung up the phone. And I sat there and said, this feeling I'm feeling right now is really, really bad. 
I do not want to feel this feeling again. So what can I do? I could speed across town. I could go see if he's alive. Put food down. Make it look like I've taken care of Murphy. I realized, that's silly. I made the phone call I didn't want to make. Call back. Craig? Yeah, Sam. What's up? I got something to tell you. (laughs) To which he said, oh, shoot, and hung up the phone. That was a bad feeling. Murphy survived. He came over an hour later with the gift and said, thanks for not taking care of my dragon. (laughs) And I said, is he going to be okay? And he says, I don't know. He's soaking in the bathtub right now. Laura's trying to nurse him back to life. Let me tell you, I didn't like that. But there's a worse surprise in this world. And it would be living your whole life and coming to the end and realizing you lived in a house that was built on sand that had no foundation. In fact, Jesus knows this is the worst thing. Because so many of His parables are given to help you and I not be surprised. I think of the parable of the ten virgins that are waiting for the bridegroom. And what they need to do to qualify to come to this wedding banquet for the bridegroom is you have to bring your lamp. And you have to be a virgin. And ten of them show up. And they all got lamps. And they're all virgins. And they all look good. But five of them didn't bring oil. And five of them did. And the bridegroom tarried. And these foolish virgins ran out of oil. And then someone said, hey, he's here, he's here. And they said, quick, share some of this oil. And they said, no, we won't have enough for ourselves. Go buy it. As they go buy it, the bridegroom comes, brings in the five wise virgins, and they stand outside the door and say, let us in, let us in. And he says, I never knew you. The point of the parable is all ten believed they were getting into the banquet. And then he talks about the wise servant and the wicked servant. Matthew 24.48 where he puts them in charge. He's going on a long journey. He's supposed to, the wise servant's supposed to feed all the other servants and take care of the place. But, the wicked servant says this, my master is delayed. And he begins to beat his fellow servants. He eats and drinks with the drunkards. The master of, of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at, his, at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's two servants. They're both servants of this master. One of them is going to be shocked in the end and go, oh no. And the others will be delighted because they've been waiting for their master. And then the wedding banquet. 
here's a king that has a son. And there's going to be a big wedding and he invites all the, all the people in town. The rich, the popular, they all get invited, but they're all too busy. One's a farmer, says I got too much work to do on the farm. Another one's a businessman, I, I got business to do. And others received the invitation and actually killed the messengers of this invitation to come to this wedding banquet. So he says, here's what you do. Go to the highways and the byways. Invite the poor. Invite anyone and everyone to the banquet. And they all show up at the banquet. And those who denied the Son were the first ones. They just ignored the invitation. Said it's not for us. But then there's another type. There's one at the banquet sitting there and he doesn't have his wedding garments on. He's there. He came to the invitation. He showed up, but he doesn't have the white wedding garments on. And the king comes in and says, where's your wedding garments? And he's speechless. And he casts him out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here's one who showed up at the banquet. He's supposed to be there. He received the invitation. And yet, is surprised that he was supposed to have wedding clothes on representing Christ's righteousness. He came in his own righteousness. Jesus was concerned. There's going to be many people on Judgment Day. I never knew, I never knew. And He would say, look how many parables I warned you. I told you the majority that say, Lord, Lord, will walk down the wide path. That's Matthew's version of the Sermon on the Mount. He's speaking to the believers, to those who say, Lord, Lord. The most important decision in your life is the one that impacts your soul. It might be the one you think about the least. The most important decision in your life is the one that impacts your soul. In fact, Jesus says, don't fear those who can kill the body. That's all they can do is kill the body. Don't fear them. I'll tell you who to fear. Fear Him who can not only kill your body, but cast your soul into hell. Jesus also says, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? You know, it's tough when you come to a text like this, because everyone's heard this text, uh, my preaching professor talked about the different things you have to get right when you preach a text. Logos. you got to get the word right. And then, pathos. You have to get the tone of the text right. You can't preach a heavy text with a happy-go-lucky feeling. You may get the words right, but you don't get the tone right. 
I can put myself in Sunday school, second grade. And the rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Does that tune fit the end of the sermon? That is the most weighty conclusion to any sermon that has ever been preached. It ends with, and great was its fall. We all know the song. Do you know what it means? Do you know what the text means? Or do we get all like this and we heard it a thousand times so we don't even hear it? My prayer is is that by God's grace, you don't hear me. You listen to Jesus Christ and what He's saying in these verses when it comes to your soul. Paul told Timothy, a young preacher, he said, keep close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. That's a burden that falls heavy on my shoulders. Sam, keep a close watch on your life and on yourself and on your teaching. I want to get the tone right. I don't care if it doesn't make you happy-go-lucky today. It's not a happy-go-lucky ending to the message. It's Jesus' sermon. It's not my sermon. But it is the love of God, the mercy of God to show us the truth. If we're going to look at the end of the sermon, I want to quickly review what he's already said. The sermon began by creating two groups of people, the blessed and the cursed, called the Beatitudes and the Woes. And he surprisingly preaches to a group full of Jewish, legalistic, religious people who think they're going to heaven. They think they're rich. They think they're fine. Here's what he says. Blessed are the poor, the hungry, the weeping, and the hated. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. You think you have no righteousness. You realize your sin. You're not pretending to be someone you're not. Blessed is the one who is poor spiritually. Blessed is the one who is hungry. Realizes I have no righteousness of my own. I need righteousness from You, God. Blessed are those who weep. They look at themselves and rather try to justify themselves Weep over the rebellion they see in their own heart. Blessed are those who are persecuted and hated. He says, those are the blessed ones. Woe to those who justify themselves, who think they're fine. That's how the sermon starts. There's two groups of people. There's not three. There's not four. There's two groups of people. And then... He speaks to the one group. He says, those who have ears to hear, the sermon narrows down. He's speaking to the first group, the blessed group, because they're the only ones that can fulfill this. He tells them to love your enemies. Tells them to do something. You've received mercy. You realized your sin. You received mercy from God. Now give it to others. Love 
your enemies, He says. He tells them to do something in this sermon at that point. Because of the grace you received, don't judge others. Show mercy to others. The same thing you've received. And then he talks about false teachers. Because if you would have been there in this context, what you have in Israel is all sorts of teachers and all sorts of disciples. In Judaism, you had all sorts of different teachers and rabbis with all their disciples following them. And here's this weird one, Jesus, who has the crowds. He can do miraculous things. But He begins to talk about the false teachers. And what He teaches is He says, a blind guide leading another blind person is going to end up with two people in a deadly pit. They're going to fall off a cliff. They're going to fall into an empty well. And He's telling the people, who are you going to follow? A blind guide can't lead blind people to a good place. And then He says, you will never excel beyond your teacher. If your teachers are blind, why would you follow them? Because they can't help you see. And then He says, here's how you recognize who's blind and who's not blind. And He basically says, everything you do comes out of your heart. Luke 6.45 The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. You'll know a person by their fruit. All your actions flow out of your heart. And Jesus is trying to help them see, look, I know what they're saying, He's saying, but look at their life. Here, God is in the flesh and they either hate His guts or they come up to Him and they flatter Him. They speak nice, kind words to Him, but their hearts are far from them. Most people think their life flows out of their circumstances, but if you want to know who you are and what you are, listen to your mouth speak. That's where it comes out of. And when you listen with ears to hear and God gives you the Holy Spirit, you begin to weep and mourn over what you're beginning to see deep down in your heart. You quit justifying because you realize, wow. Because we say things like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't really mean that. I shouldn't have said that. That wasn't I didn't mean that. Or what we should be saying is if that came out of my mouth, I meant it, which means I'm a broken person. And you may think I'm a good person, but what came out of my mouth in that fight was more true than when things are going good and I flatter you. And that brings us to this point. Here's how Jesus ends His sermon. In your notes, you see the accusation, the anecdote, which I got to confess, I went to the dictionary, I tried to find an A word that meant like story or parable. Because I, I didn't know that anecdote and antidote were two different words. An antidote is like a cure to something. An anecdote is a clever story that is told. This is an anecdote. And then we see what I would call the silent application. Everyone knows the application. Jesus doesn't have to say it because He's such a good teacher. 
you know the application after you read this text. So let's look at the accusation. You know, I first wrote the question because look at what he says. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? I thought it was a question. But then I read more closely and I realized, is this really a question? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, whenever you see it repeated? It's like, why do you come to me and say, I'm a follower of you, Jesus. I'm one of your disciples. He says, why do you do that and not do what I tell you to do? You see, that's an accusation. Their hearts are being exposed by their actions. And he's saying, I know you want to follow me. Jesus, Jesus wasn't concerned about numbers. He was concerned about sincerity. Because when the crowds got big, you, you want to know what he did? He preached the hardest things and those who weren't sincere walked on. At one point, he's left with just his disciples and he says, you want to leave me too? You want to walk away from me? But he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? This has been a problem ever since man existed. Back in the Old Testament, through Ezekiel the prophet, in Ezekiel 33, verse 30, here's what we read. As for you, son of man, your people talk together about you, by the walls and at the doors of the house, they say to one another and to each his brother, come and hear what the Word of the Lord is that comes from the Lord. Here's what the people of Israel do. Come listen to the prophet. Come listen. God's going to speak. Come hear God's Word. God's Word is good for us. But then here's what he says. And they come to you as people come and they sit before you as my people and they hear what you say, Ezekiel, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths, they act. Their heart is set on their gain. Jesus is popular. He's doing great things and there's a lot of people willing to say, hey, Lord, Lord, I want in on what you're doing and they don't love Him. They don't want to obey Him. They don't want a Lord. They don't want to be poor, weeping, repentant, hungry for righteousness they admit they don't have. They don't want that. They want to flatter Jesus with their mouth so they can get something good for themselves that isn't Him. And He knows that. You've done that. You've had people come up to you and you talk all nice to them. Oh, yeah, that's great. Oh, okay, yeah, I'll do that. And you're saying, I'll never do that. We do it all the time. And this is what they were doing with Jesus. Oh, good teacher. They come up to Jesus and ask questions. But He says, why do you call Me Lord? Do not do what I tell you. In fact, Jesus in Matthew 21-28 gives this parable, this illustration. He says, what do you think? A man had two sons. He's saying this to the Pharisees. And he went to the first and said, son, go work in the vineyard today. And he answered, 
I will. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? So he asked the Pharisees. He says, which one did the Lord's will? One said, oh yes, daddy. Yes, sir. I'll go do it. He doesn't. The other one says, no, I'm not going to do that, dad. Feels guilt and goes and does what his father says. They said to Jesus, the first, truly, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your mind and believe him. Remember what John was doing? His message, he's preaching a baptism of repentance. The Pharisees and the Jews show up for the baptism and he says, you brood of vipers, who told you to flee from the wrath of God? Don't you know this is a baptism of repentance? Let the fruit of your life match your repentance. And right now, I'm not seeing it. You're here for the wrong thing. I'm here to prepare the way for the Lord, which is repentant sinners looking for a Savior. And you're here bringing your righteousness. And he's saying, this baptism isn't for you. And then they see the miracles of Christ and they still don't repent. They still don't come to Him. The prostitutes, the one who don't even, they're not even claiming to be righteous. They're not claiming to follow God. The prostitutes and tax collectors are getting in because they're hearing the Word of God and acting upon it. And the Pharisees who claim their own righteousness and they don't do this and they don't do that, are not getting in. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Did you know that saving faith is an obedient, repentant faith? I gave you a bunch of verses in your notes because I want you this week to go read these. You'll be shocked to see how saving faith and obedience are connected. Because what we know as evangelicals is you're not saved by works lest any man should boast. That's true. You're saved by faith, but saving faith works. The works you do aren't the grounds of your salvation. Jesus is. But true saving faith with the Holy Spirit dwelling inside loves Jesus. Obeys Jesus. We're going to ask the question in a moment, what, is, what does that mean? But just listen to some of these verses. Acts 6-7. And the Word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Romans. Now, if there's ever a book that's all about God's grace... God's grace begins before the foundation of the earth, even in election. Chapter 4 is all about salvation by grace through faith, not by works. But 
Listen to Romans 1, verse 5. Through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among the nations. He's saying, I'm writing this letter to you so that you'll get an obedient faith that brings glory to God. That you'll not only receive Christ as your Savior, but you recognize He's your Lord. You're to follow what He says. And then in Romans 15.18, He says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through Me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Romans 16.25, Now to Him who is able to strengthen you according to My Gospel and the preaching of Christ, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Hebrews 5.9 And being made perfect, He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. John 14.15 If you love Me, that's one thing, you will keep my commandments. That's the fruit of it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 23, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and the Father will love him and he'll come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. John 3.36 is this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. You see, believing in Jesus and obeying Him are synonymous. They're both the same. If you believe Him, you'll listen to Him. Now, I know some of you are thinking, I'm in trouble because I sin. What does He mean when He says do? Why do you not do what I told you to? What does He mean by that? What does He want them to do? What has He been saying this whole sermon? Remember what John's preaching was about? Here's what He says about John. He went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And then Jesus lines Himself up with John's ministry saying what He started is what I'm continuing. He's pointing to Me and He's in line with Me. A baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sin. And then in Mark 1.14, here's what we hear about Jesus' preaching. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the Gospel of God saying, the time is fulfilled. The Kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the Gospel. Jesus didn't so much go around throwing out invitations as commands. He preached the Gospel and the Gospel was a command that said, repent and believe. Listen to My words. Repent. In other words, recognize you're a sinner. Recognize you have no hope in and of yourself. 
recognize that your sin that you've been after is contrary to the reason you're created. You're created to glorify God and you've made sin your idolatry. God hates that. Turn from that which leads to death 180 degrees and see your Savior. That's the command of the Gospel. It's not so much, oh, I hope you will come. I hope you'll come. It's a command from your Creator that says, repent and believe the Gospel. And people will be obedient to that command or not. Matthew 4.17 says the time began for Jesus to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In Matthew 12.41, Jesus said, the men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. I'm preaching and they're not repenting. Luke 5.30, He says, I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. What's the ministry of Jesus? To come to those who know they're sinners and call them to turn away from that which leads to death and come to that which leads to life. In fact, in Luke 15.7, He says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven, now get this, over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You want to know what God's all about? Repentance. 99 people that think they don't need repentance doesn't glorify God one bit, no matter what their outward righteousness looks like. But that broken, poor prostitute that realizes I'm on a dead end road and that man has the words of life. When she turns and says, I'm following him, all heaven breaks forth in worship. You want to know what glorifies God? You admitting who you are in your hopelessness and saying, God, you're my only hope. My only hope is in the only Savior, Jesus Christ. I could show you so many more, but know this, Jesus' command to mankind is not keep the law because you can't. What it is is admit you can't keep the law. Be broken by that. Turn to me. And now with the Holy Spirit, fight to live the new life you could never live before. But now it's possible in Christ to grow in righteousness. And so we see the accusation. Why do you call me Lord and not live as I tell you? And this, let me, let me just make it personal. Some of you here have been living in sin that you know you've been in for a long time and you just keep hanging on to it as though there's going to be life here. And you're just like, maybe someday I'll let go of it. Maybe someday I'll let go of it. There is such a freedom in saying, I don't want it. Help me. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what sin has hung on to you that you come to church, you believe this stuff in your head, 
But Jesus is saying, are you doing what I said? And what I said is, turn. There's no life in it. Turn to Me. Don't be fooled. The majority of those who confess Christ live lives in contradiction to His words. Christians are not perfect people. They're repenting people. They're broken people over their sin who cling to their Savior. My prayer is you hear Jesus' words and then the anecdote. There's two builders. He says, what have we got here? Not very much time. Everyone who comes... Verse 48, He says, Everyone who comes to Me and hears My words and does them, I'll show you what He is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood rose, the stream broke out against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. And the sermon ends right there. What does this story mean? The one who hears My words, what's his words? It's the Gospel. Repent and believe. That's his words. Whoever hears My words, the false teachers don't believe in the Gospel. They believe in self-righteousness. And he's essentially saying, you're going to follow the false teachers or you're going to build your life on Me? On My message? See, it's not Me plus them. It's just Me. There's only one house that stands. And it's the one built on the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever does them. We just talked about this. What does it mean to do the words of Christ? It means to confess your sin. To turn away from it, realizing you have to turn to your only hope. You lack righteousness. And so you confess your sins. You turn from them, from from the hope, finding life in them. And you turn to Jesus and say, that's my Savior. I'm going to believe Him. And when you do that, now you can obey the command. Go love your neighbor. Because go love your enemy. Because you've been the enemy of God. You've been loved. Christ's love is poured into your heart. And now you can even go fulfill the very reason You were created. What's the house? Building a house is your life. It's your convictions. It's your affections. It's your actions. It's that which comes out of your heart. You're building. Everyone in the world is building something. Building somewhere. And He says the house that's going to stand is the one that dug deep. Now, I can tell you something. If, you, if you're building a house by hand with hand tools, it's a lot easier building a house without a foundation than it is one with a foundation. But he says the one who digs down deep gets down deep into the heart and is willing to be exposed in your sin, in your hopelessness. But then 
in that utter despair of your sin that's been revealed to you, you see the rock. And you say, I have to build here. I have no righteousness of my own. It's foolish to play the game of a good person. I'm going to build my house on the rock of Jesus Christ. That one will stand. But here's the, here's the tricky thing. From a hundred yards away, you can't tell the difference. You can fool me. You can fool me and make me think you're a Christian. I might never know how your life is built because both houses can look the same. But in the end, the storm is God's judgment. There will be a storm that tests everyone's life and Jesus is telling them, listen, if you follow Me, the true rabbi, and you listen to My words, and you build your life on My Gospel, your life will stand. You follow anyone else. This is the closest thing to Christianity. This is Judaism. And He's saying there's only one place your house stands, and it's on the Gospel of Christ. And the application is self-evident. Build your life on the rock. Listen to Jesus' words. Admit who you are, that you're hopeless without Him. Repent and trust Him. Listen to the good news of, of these verses. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears My words and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. That's John 5.24. How about Romans 8.1? There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How about 1 John 4.16? So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. By this, love is perfected so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because he are, because as He is, so also we are in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. You can know your house is going to stand if you build it on Christ. I want to end with Romans 9.30. Paul says this. He says, what shall we say then? After he's laid out the mercy of God, what shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness obtained it? The prostitutes weren't looking for God. But they obtained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith but that Israel who pursued the law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame." Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. 
for being ignorant of the righteousness of God in a seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. There Paul is saying, those who have God's Word are trying to build this house on their own works. And in the end, it's going to crumble. My prayer is, is that Jesus Christ isn't a stumbling stone for you, but it's the rock on which you build your life. It's the cornerstone of your life. Father, thank You for this sermon by our Lord Jesus that is a loving sermon. It's a weighty sermon. It ends with a house that falls. God, I pray in this culture of light-hearted gleefulness that doesn't take serious the big issues of life, that You would grant us mercy by Your Spirit to weigh our soul. See where we have our life built. And that we would turn to Christ, the only sure foundation. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.